Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, you know the famous saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not necessarily a philosophy that FIFA buys into. The World Cup is changing beyond all recognition just months after we had the best World Cup ever. Uh, What's happening and why? We'll tell you all the news and views from Planet FIFA. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. calling on the Congress to give a round of applause to elect Gianni Infantino as the FIFA president for the period from 2023 to 2027. All those who, um, who love me, and I know there are so many, and those who hate me, I know there are few. I love you all, of course, today especially. The thicker fancy well, it just sends shivers down your spine. I, sh- I struggle with the idea of just saying that like, countries basically should just accept we're never going to get that. I, th- I think it's one of the better things Infantino's done. One of the stories we were expecting was, was more on their 2030 bid. I think that's gone away. So joining us today to discuss the future of international football, the Athletics football reporters Matt Slater and Adam Crafton and Deputy Editor Laura Williamson. It's the first, this, of a podcast doubleheader. So today... We'll talk about the international game. Tomorrow, we'll turn our attention to the changes being made at club level. I'm going to start with you, Matt, because you went to FIFA's Congress last week, which was in Rwanda. The main headlines were what? I suppose the main headline was that uh, four more years of Infantino, though we did kind of know that. He was running unopposed. So he got in by acclamation, is where everyone basically stands up and claps. Not everyone, but most people. We got a bit more information on the Club World Cup. There was a kind of reverse ferret that again had been um, trailed. So the next World Men's World Cup 2026 is not going to be 16 groups of three. It's going to be 12 groups of four, which means the tournament will have 104 games and will run for 39 days. Now we can talk a little bit more about that, but that is, I think, quite significant. Um, Yeah, lots of other little bits of buzz, but I suppose those were the main headlines. Okay. Did you also, by the way, compare his 2016 presidential campaign to Rwanda's recovery from genocide? Right. Well, this this does divide people. So I'll give you a little bit of context here. He did an opening address where, to me, and I would say most of the people, the vast majority of the people in the room who I spoke to, and I really did talk to a lot of people about this because I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't just, you know, my bias or... Mm. You know, me sort of thinking the worst of stuff that comes out of Infantino's mouth. But 
the majority, vast majority, I would say, of the people in the room who heard it, heard him say, like an anecdote about a previous time he'd been to Rwanda, or the first time he'd been to Rwanda, actually, uh, was in the run-up when he was on the campaign trail in 2016, the very first time. And he'd come to Rwanda to try and win the votes, the African bloc votes. And he wasn't, he, you know, he found out he wasn't going to get the votes. So he was very disappointed, packing his bags and all this sort of stuff. But he went to he went to Kigali's uh, Rwanda genocide memorial, which is by all accounts absolutely amazing. I didn't I didn't have time to get there. He told this story that no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to carry on, and you know, and and sort of like like Rwanda's incredible recovery from from genocide. You know, here I am today, and I'm and I'm and I'm in front of you again today. So that sounded to me like he was comparing. Mm. The two, his sort of campaign trail, keep going, keep going, try, try, try again with Rwanda's recovery. However, I asked him about it in the press conference and he got very angry. There was We'd already had a clash over something else. Um, and um, he said I was completely wrong. And how could anyone think that, that he'd ever compare something as bad and as awful as that to anything from his life? And other people... I would say a minority said, no, no, come on, look, you know, you are being a bit harsh there. He clearly was, t- it might have been a bit clumsy the way he phrased it, but he was saying he took inspiration from Rwanda's recovery from, so that, that's, that, that's that story. Okay, when you look at this, Laura, whilst the personnel may be different, it looks like FIFA in many ways just has never moved on. I mean, if you if you look at the FIFA documentary on Netflix, there are patterns that still continue today. I mean, a, a man running unopposed for the presidency and just people standing up and clapping their approval for him. It, it Nothing has changed. No. No, it's, it's a fascinating study of sort of what power does to people, isn't it? I mean, you know, when he's like, he comes out with that speech about Infantino about to those of you who love me, and there are many, and to those of you who hate me, and yes, I know there are a few, and then, you know, somebody pipes up, we love you, Mr. President. It's just the sycophancy is, it just sends shivers down your spine. Um, But I think the point remains that once these people climb that greasy ladder and get there, and let's face it, make a lot of money for the organisation that they represent, then it becomes very, very difficult to dislodge them. The other thing, though, I think it is important to say, Adam, is that the four of us are viewing this from a Western European perspective. And we always have to take into account with international sport that the Western European way doesn't necessarily make it the right way and, and that there are plenty of countries globally who have benefited from the leadership of a whole variety of men, because it tends to be men, in a whole variety of organisations. Yeah. I went to Suriname before the World Cup, and Suriname are a very, very small football nation. You know, never been to a World Cup. But they do have half a chance of making 2026 because of the expanded nature and because you have three teams that automatically qualify with uh, USA, Canada, and Mexico. And I asked their their president of their, of their local uh, football association what he made of Infantino. And he said, well, Gian, you know, Gianni's my great friend. He's been to visit twice. You know, there's a plaque on the wall outside this very, very small FA building, which says unveiled by Gianni Infantino, some local football pitches. And the thing that they've, that FIFA have done for Suriname that's very important 
is when Suriname playing things like pre-qualifying or friendlies against, uh, I don't know, Haiti or uh, countries that are local in, in some way, they were finding the costs incredibly burdensome, incredibly, incredibly difficult to go and do two or three days uh, to do the plane travel, the hotels, to get players who might be playing in Europe over to Suriname in uh, Central South America. And, and FIFA expanded that pot of money. And that is basically just, that will lock in Suriname's vote forever, really, for Infantino. I think that's why you do have these very, very small nations who, have, who all have one vote now, basically saying, well, you know, okay, he's a bit crass on the big international stage, but he does just about enough to look after us. Yeah. I, I mean, at, at some point in all of this, Laura, we, you, everyone has to understand that whilst, you, whilst we're, you're constantly meant to look at the bigger picture and the greater good and whatever, self-interest has to play a part. At some, <laughs> at some yeah, level. It does. And and one of the thing, big things Infantino was keen to get across in Rwanda was how much money FIFA as an organisation is, is making. Um, and it's been phenomenally successful on that front. And if that money is trickling down to these smaller nations, then of course they're going to they're gonna back him to continue what, continue what he's doing. I think it's, it's a wider question really of what, um, what we want the World Cup to be. You know, do we want do we want the, the minnows to get there and, and make money and have their chance in the spotlight? Or do we actually want it to be the same old names, the same old teams and the players we all know about? And interestingly, Matt, Gab Marcotti wrote this for ESPN last week. If you're sniffy about quality, then international football isn't for you. <laughs> and neither is lower division football and basically every single game other than the Champions League knockout stages. Big six clashes in the Premier League, the Classico and a few other choice matches Sorry. Do you agree with that? No, not really. Uh, I, saw, I know the point he's making. I mean, if you are an absolute stickler for what I'm watching has to be the best of the best, right? So uh, if I like opera, I can only go to, like, say, half a dozen opera houses or theatre, etc., etc., right? But the beauty of sport is it's competition. So it's Laura's point, right? I want to see a good contest. And one of the things I'm endlessly pleasantly surprised at particularly if you support bad football teams like I do, is the actual you know quality argument goes a long way down. The, the, the number of like decent footballers this nation produces, decent rugby players, decent cricket players, as long as it's a good contest, fine. I, I, I watch school sport. I watch all sorts of amateur sport. That's so I, I don't necessarily buy... I, I know the point he's making, but I do quite like seeing Champions League knockout games. Right? That's, that's different. It's a different experience for me. But then I get quite a lot of enjoyment from seeing a really good National League game or a really good, you know, under-18 because game of rugby. Because it's level. Because, it's le because you've got the competitive balances about right. Oh, that's, that's the point. Now, look, you can get duds of all varieties, right? You can get a bad game, blowouts, just flat performances, bad weather, bad ref. All sorts of things can like ruin, ruin the quality of a game that you're watching. It's it's is it fair? Is there something on on the line that normally helps? Right? Is there some you know is, is this game important? So those are the things that I that's why I enjoy sport. But I know the point Gab's making. Adam, I, th I think he makes a fair point. I mean, it's an interesting one in terms of you know as a journalist who might go to that World Cup. I mean, another week in USA, Canada, and Mexico doesn't sound that bad. 
I think I think for most people who will be going to that World Laura, Cup. Uh, Laura, are you responsible for sending it? <laughs> Noted. Just, you know, Noted. He's already, he's already making it sound like a holiday. Well, he's, so, he's off to know. Miami for a month, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and there is also a fair point that these very, very small nations, the only way they can really progress is by by being exposed to these tournaments, by having the exposure that comes with it, the revenue that comes from it, the resources that come from it, unless we do basically say, you know, there are some countries that are just too small to ever compete at the World Cup. Because I think that is the situation we're probably currently in. You know, one of the best stories in the, in the last World Cup was probably, you know, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. But Saudi Arabia aren't a, a Suriname, right? Like, you know, in terms of what they're spending mm. on sport and what they're spending on football, the size of the population, the potential in terms of the age of the population. And they've been to new, you know, been to World Cups before. So I, I struggle with the idea of just saying like countries basically should just accept we're never going to get that. I, th I think it's one of the better things Infantino's done. Well, I, I always use a, a, an example, Laura, as, as growing up, England used to re put eight or nine past Turkey, for example, in the in the early in the early and mid eighties. You know, Turkey, oh, absolute minnow. And you fast forward to what was it? Was it two thousand and two World Cup? They were they were semi finalists, and, and through that time there was an expanded Euros and so on and so forth. So, in some ways, whilst this does seem a ridiculously sized tournament, the benefit for some of these countries will well be seen long after I'm working on podcasts. I mean, it'll be in twenty fifty. You might see the benefit for. Suriname. Yeah, that's it. And 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 maybe we do just have to sort of suck up the fact that in women's football, it, it's always level that because there are so few elite teams that you do get your 13 nils, you do get your 10 nils, mm. and they're incredibly dull to watch. And maybe we have to suck that up in men's football at World Cup level for a little bit to bring to bring up those um, smaller nations on. But because I think those, it won't be 13 nil, obviously, but I think those chasms of of quality will will happen with forty eight teams. It's just got to. I mean, the women's the women's World Cup's got thirty two this time. Um, you know, Haiti are in England's group. There's a risk there that 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 could be you know a cricket score. But as Adam says, and I think he's right, you've got to take that for the for the long term gain potentially. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The the biggest complaint, Matt, is surely just on the one hand, it feels slightly unmanageable that forty mm -hmm. more games, one hundred and four games in total, but also the fact that by it doesn't matter whether you have sixteen three team groups or mm -hmm. now what they're going to do of what was it twelve four team groups, yeah. you're still going to have well one 
it's it's a bit of a clumsy mechanic because you're going to have eight third place teams yeah. going through, and and secondly, you're still going to end up with a, quite a few meaningless games. Aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not it's not an ideal tournament if if you're designing it from a sort of structure point of view because you're right. It's it's a loss of games to only boot out. 16 of them right because you get you've got to sort of manufacture this 32 round of 32 so in some ways we play a lot of games to get to a really good quite old-fashioned cup format 32 16 8 4 and you know i think people will find that great and exciting if, if they're still watching it makes me think of like rugby world cups which are very very long and they are you know attritional affairs but that's because they need quite a long time between games football hasn't quite got that excuse but because it's jamming so many teams in I think the length of it will be interesting it's one of those things I don't think we'll know until we see it I was sort of mentioning it to mates of mine at the weekend and they were like yeah but we're all gonna watch aren't we in the same way that you know we, we we somehow got through those four games a day in Qatar, we all watched. What I but, think, but but some some will be watched, kind of as wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think so. Where, yeah. where, whereas whereas the majority in a thirty-two team are probably watched with with a bit more intent. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. But like I said, I think it's just going to be one of those things that we won't really know until we've been through one. I think one of the, I mean, the, probably the biggest reason that they correctly went from 16 times 3 to 12 times 4 is to bring back more meaningful more games jeopardy right so you will in the 16 times 3 you were losing one of the most exciting four or five days of Qatar where you had I think it was four days in a row of all four teams uh, in each group having sort of simultaneous kickoffs and lots happening. You know, the sort of, remember, the, was it Spain, Germany, that Costa Rica day where teams were in and out and, you know, the, the, the group was changing on a sort of almost minute-by-minute basis. That was exciting. And when you had game 16 times three, well, you had one team sitting out watching it and you put you had also the possibility of collusion as well between between the two teams that did have a final fixture, getting the fixture, they, the result they wanted to boot, you know, to, to, to get the other team out. So I think... They've got there eventually. It does mean a load more games, and you're right. There's a danger of too much being a good thing. I'm like, oh my god, how do we do all this? Do they need another uh, another venue, which brings cost? So there's gonna be lots of travel. Yeah, loads of things to sort out. But I think the format is better than it was. I also don't think you will end up. You know, we're talking about sort of these minnows getting in. You might get one or two. But you know, if you think from a European point of view, you know, there were some pretty big countries that weren't yeah. actually at the World Cup. This t- yeah, think about was Sweden was Sweden there? Uh, no. Norway, Italy, Italy, right? So, <laughs> so, ha- 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 so, so the way to think about it is Harlem wasn't there, Ibrahimovic wasn't there, Mo Salah wasn't there. So you know, Enfantino's made this point when asked about quality. He's like he 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 rails, he'll, he'll list off like 10, 10 big teams that weren't there with stars. That's the, I mean that's the other thing with stars. I, Ibra- Ibrahimovic can't. Well, he won't be. Blimey. Yeah, I know. I know. Go on, Adam, finish your point there. No, that, that was my point. My point was that, you know, we're kind of all worrying about that these are all going to be non-fixtures, and you'll, you will get some of that. What it will do is mean the qualifying is just utterly Correct. awful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's already yeah. awful. It will be even worse. But your point about stars is absolutely right, that, that that's that's what Infantino, that's what FIFA want. They want they want the big names there because that's that's how people follow football. You that's know, what we, we want. We saw it. We, yeah, we saw it in Qatar, didn't we, with all the... All the names of shirts on the, yeah. you know, that's what people want to watch. 
Well, I think the qualifying point, you know, you, you are diluting the, the quality, the importance of qualifying. And I think that is a possible unintended consequence or a knock-on effect that maybe FIFA will, will want to have a look at. Because that Suriname point that Adam was making about, you know, what, what's, what, what's important for them? Well, qualifying tournaments are actually quite important for them. There's whole, whole parts of the, of the world that don't, doesn't play enough football, doesn't have enough meaningful fixtures. And one of the things that often gets said about Europe is you've stopped playing friendlies against us. You know, Europe has now come up with this Nations League tournament. Again, it's sort of kind of putting a big red fence, almost like this gated community. We, we, you know, we're getting richer and richer and richer. And what FIFA is trying to do, and you know, it annoys people here and it annoys players and players' unions and you know, but it's it's got this point. Well, look, UEFA's Europe's galloping away. They've stopped. They've stopped sharing that wealth through fixtures because they said that fixtures were, were rubbish and you know the clubs didn't like them so we, we you know we've invented this little tournament that suits us and one of the things that let's say CONCACAF has or Africa has or Asia has is well they've still got qualifying tournaments and they are their best fixtures their best TV money but you by expanding the World Cup you do kind of dilute the quality of that so there's a little bit of kind of you know balancing act going on and that's why it's so important that Infantino at these annual congresses absolutely hammers home the point this is how much money I was giving you every year in 2016. This is how much I'm giving you now, every year, all of you. Our money, your money, look at our revenues. Up, 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 up. So he's constantly reinforcing that point. You're all getting more money, sevenfold. When I came in in 2016, he dished out about $250,000 per member association. It's, it's, it's two million-ish now. And we're about to go into a new World Cup cycle because all of FIFA's budgets are done on World Cup cycles where they're going to double it again. So Qatar was really successful. The next one's going to be pretty much twice. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On to the Women's World Cup, and you mentioned the, the, the heavy scorelines that there are sometimes in tournaments and, and in qualifying. A heavy scoreline in a, in a men's game, whilst people go, oh, God, it may, it might, it's ridiculous that there are 48 teams in this World Cup, or whatever it may be, doesn't necessarily hammer the product 
right? I, I noticed that there, there will be more criticism of the product and a one-sided game in women's football. A, is that is that fair, that there is more criticism? And B, is that a problem, do you think, going into this Women's World Cup? I think you're definitely right. There's definitely more scrutiny. It's, it's straight away, it's, well, yeah, well, it's just rubbish, isn't it? Because, you know, the other, te- the, the yeah. other team, they, <laughs> people don't take into, into account that the other team are not even part-time or their infrastructure or all the rest of it. It's just, as a TV spectacle, it's it's rubbish. Particularly rubbish when the winning team stops scoring goals out of sympathy, which drives me up the wall. Um, I think I think there is a risk that that might that might happen in in the group stage. I mean, they've gone you know they've gone from to, to thirty two teams. That's that that is a lot in a in a in a sport that is still still developing. But the view seems to be that that it's a positive thing because again, to Adam's point, you just get more more nations involved and and people can see sort of more of what women's football is about but the the key will be telling those stories rather than it just being you know Haiti turning up and, and, and getting hammered by Denmark and England in that group. Was Infantino right then Adam to to take aim at broadcasters who criticise FIFA for not offering equal prize money by saying well they don't offer enough for the right. I mean FIFA's prize pot for this Women's World Cup is £150 million which is five times bigger than it was four years ago. Uh, but it's still not as big as the men's one, is it? At the, no. At the moment. But Infantino's point being, well, you broadcasters don't give us the same amount of money for the Women's World Cup as you do for the Men's World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think he's got he's got a point to a certain extent. You know, broad, you know, the probably the yeah. You know, I think his point was the same broadcasters that are offering us that money will then go and criticise FIFA for not giving the bigger fund or where we meant to find this money. Well. Unfortunately for Gianni, you've also just spent half your speech telling everyone how rich you are. So yeah. you, you've kind of trapped yourself, and they've, 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 they've done that as well with the there's this fund that you know that clubs receive from FIFA to release players during these major tournaments, both in men's football and women's football. And one of the unintended consequences of Gianni and Fatina running around the room saying all these billions that they're earning is clubs are now turning around and saying, should we get a bigger slice of this? You know, should we be paid more than what we what we were? To to go back to your question in terms of the broadcasters, the answer is probably you know, the answer is probably somewhere in the in the middle of that. You know, yes, there probably should be a greater competition. You know, in in terms of to 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 bid for those those rights. You know, was there the same sort of I suppose bidding war that you would see for for the men's World Cup? There is also, of course, there's also there's always going to be a degree of economic reality in this in terms of how much money will it make the company that is bidding for it um i think it is slightly different on two levels whether you know with a state broadcaster whether it's you know something like the bbc or something where i kind of feel like they have a responsibility to to get those rights but also a responsibility if it's taxpayers money not to overpay for those rights at the same time so it, it is it's all very 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 complicated which probably is not what any woman working in football wants to hear that it's all very complicated and we're all thinking very deeply about it. And 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 it's playing catch up. You know, his, historically, Matt, it is mm. it, it is playing catch up on a on a competitive level, on a commercial level, on a financial yeah. level. You know, I, I'll often go back to the hundred in in the cricket, where whereby the prize money is equal right at the very start because. It's a new tournament and they've been able to do that. Having said that, 
there are still disparities in what the men are paid and what the women are paid because there is, there is a historical nature to trying to catch that up. Oh, it's huge, and and you know the, you, we have these debates, don't we? When we even when we talk about the WSL and, and where where the English the club game is in England, and to the men's game, do they subsidise it enough? Should they subsidise it at all? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a tough one, right? And I, and I there are good arguments on both sides. I think Adam's point that FIFA could, if it wanted to, do this because, as you say, with one hand, he spends. 20 minutes talking about how successful FIFA is. It's just a you know, commercial beast. Oh, and by the way, we've now got $4 billion in our reserves, right? But then with uh, his final point, which I thought was a good point, you know, he actually said, you know, when people are asking us for our rights, for our Women's World Cup rights, particularly, you know, particularly these public service broadcasters, and he sort of made this point about taxpayers' money, they're offering 100, he said, 100, 1% of what they were willing to pay for the men's rights, despite the fact that their audience figures are only, let's say, 20% lower. That, that, to me, felt like a reasonable point. And he said, if asked, he, actually made, he actually then said, offer us 25% less, offer us 50% less, and we'll do the rest. So then again, you know, there is a, you know, that classic sort of men, the men's game subsidising the women's game for a time until hopefully we can all reach the point where, let's say, women's tennis is. Now, that's going to take a while. I, I, I do think... One of the issues I have with the way that any governing body goes about growing women's football is, for some reason, they feel like they have to mirror the approach taken by the men's game. So in 2019, it went up, didn't it, from 24 teams at the World Cup to 32. But if I was in FIFA's position, I would have kept it at 24, actually. I would have taken the flip side to what I've just said and actually said to nations, if you want to get into this tournament... You have to go and invest, right? You have to go and invest as a nation, as a government. And this is where, again, it becomes difficult for FIFA because they don't like governments interfering in football too much. But I think that's what—that's the, the way they have to go about it. And the other thing is, you know, do you have to sell the TV rights all to individual broadcasters in the same way as you do with men's football? Do you actually do a direct-to-consumer service? Do you take that gamble on women's football do you do you design this world cup this women's world cup as actually a bit of a super league style tournament that you're only going to see brilliant games between really good teams between really advanced nations from a footballing perspective i, I don't know I, I just think at times it's all oh well this is what the men have done for years so we're going to mirror it exactly and then we're going to complain when we don't get exactly the same amount of money for it and the other bit is with the women's world cup it certainly from a UK perspective, it's got to be, it's got to be accessible. It's got to be on free to air. But like you say, Adam, why, why couldn't you rip it up and do it in a completely different way? Put it on YouTube, get, get, just to get more eyeballs on it. But they, (laughs) they won't do that because, uh, you know, that, that takes some thinking outside the box and they've got their, um, they're very proud FIFA of their commercial strategy for the women's tournament, which they've tried to make they tried to make it independent from from the men's equivalent, so you won't get necessarily the same sponsors that we we see around the men's tournament. And then what do they do? They sign mm-hmm. a deal with Visit Saudi, which just beggars belief that nobody at FIFA HQ thought, oh, hang on, this is a tournament in which women are playing, <laughs> and how what are women's rights like in Saudi Arabia? 
And also, a lot of these players are openly gay, and they are not allowed to be that in Saudi Arabia. So why on earth, when they get to Australia and get off the plane, do they want to walk past a banner that says, visit Saudi, where you can't be what you are? Like, it just mm. beggars belief that nobody thought, oh, hang on, this might be an issue. And that's what we well, are. I think we that, are. That, well, well yeah. I, think, I think they did think it was an issue very belatedly. Yeah, oh, yeah. But that's the point. After which the is why they didn't, rotted. yeah, which is why they didn't public announce it, which is why Infantino could sit there, you know, as, as bold as brass in the in the in the post press uh, in the post congress press conference and say storm in a teacup you know as we said yeah. you know it, we had discussions whereas we know because we've seen you know some documents that there were more discussions and i've spoken to people in australia who know it was more than discussions it you know it, this was something that was done and then had to be undone and, and and how it is undone is going to be very interesting right because Saudi Arabia is basically being humiliated as a result of, I suppose, FIFA not having the foresight to to recognise the the storm that was coming. And I think the reason they didn't have the foresight was probably partially because, actually, during the Men's World Cup, Visit Saudi was everywhere. And you could kind of do that because, one, because it was in Qatar. So, you know, it's already in Qatar. You may as well have Visit Saudi at at that point. And... The other thing is, nobody in men's football had a single thing to say about it. No. And you actually had the best, you know, the the player who lifted the World Cup as the, as the ambassador for for, for the yeah. Saudi Tourist Board I mean, in Messi. And obviously, Ronaldo goes off there. I think they completely under underpriced the willingness of women and also organisations when it comes to representing women to actually just to complain mm. about it. That's what I found fascinating that, you know, in Qatar, we had all that, uh, you know, with the, with the back and two, with the armbands and governing bodies, get, you know, getting themselves in a bright old state about how to protest and all the rest of it. And when when the Athletic broke the Visit Saudi story, we went to every single um, football association involved in the tournament and asked them for a comment. And some of them commented on the record, most of them didn't. But then the first time Alex Morgan is at a press conference, what does she say? She goes in two-footed. And then Rapino follows her up. And then and, and Beth Mead said something. You know, it, it kept going, it kept going. And it makes it impossible for, for FIFA to, to wave it through. I think you know, it, was, it was a brilliant example of player power. But And it was the players. Yeah. I spoke to FIFA sources about it. They are, you could argue, you know, with reasonable grounds, they are quite thick-skinned about uh, governments moaning at them, because as Infantino said when he did the storm in a teacup thing, oh, it wasn't really; a, it was just discussions, wasn't a deal. He then went, oh, but however, um, you know, I'm a little bit intrigued by this, the by this this whole debate because Australia and Saudi Arabia has loads of trade. One point, you know, he had the number one point five billion, and it seems fine when governments have trade with. Um, Saudi Arabia or anywhere else that might be a little bit problematic. But when an international federation, which is, you know, all of you, all of us, and we're all equal, is a problem. So, you know, he's still, he's still there, still a bit annoyed. It's an issue as well for FIFA going forwards, because if I'm, if I'm a sponsor considering going to, to do something with FIFA in future, I'm looking at Qatar and seeing Budweiser get themselves into a really difficult situation basically because the host nation decided they didn't fancy it a couple of days before the World Cup in Qatar. And then you've got this situation with Visit Saudi, 
where they basically, you know, the, the Saudis, in ter- from a commercial point of view, have done noth- nothing wrong in terms of their approach. FIFA said, we'd quite like to get into a deal with you. We're doing a deal. FIFA say, that sounds great. We're going to do a deal. And then all of a sudden, FIFA back out of it. So you've always had two tournaments in a row where sponsorships have had to be pulled. And maybe FIFA would contest the language there because they would say it wasn't announced. But in essence, two sponsorships have, have been pulled because of the values of the host nation in some way. And that's a really, really interesting thing moving forwards in terms of how do sponsors and host nations and FIFA go about that? You know, because if Visit Saudi can't do this one, can they do the Men's World Cup in 2026 in the States and Canada and Mexico? You'd think that's going to be very, very difficult. So then FIFA all of a sudden looking for alternative revenue streams when tourist boards are pretty good, pretty good value. We will yeah, I mean, we've got, sorry, go well, I just, go on. Well, I, just, I was going to make one one sort of, you know, final Saudi Arabia point. Saudi Arabia, as a, as a story, was very quiet in, in Rwanda. One of the stories we were expecting was was more on their 2030 bid. I think that's gone away. I mean, I never really believed it anyway. I thought it was too soon after Qatar, and I thought there were big problems. But we got news on Tuesday, this story that we'd heard for a while, that uh, Spain and Portugal were going to team up with Morocco. They bring African votes. You've got Spain, Portugal, Morocco there. It's fantastic, you know, little kind of geographic. Uh, it makes sense. You know, football hotbeds. I think they're the new hot favourites for 2030. I think that makes it really, really hard for Saudi Arabia to bid. And they were, they were I would say they were quiet. The Saudis were quiet. So, I, you know, and I think I also mentioned the international match calendar thing, which is too complicated to squeeze into now. But it actually makes it quite hard for another Winter World Cup. Because that would require like a sort of 10-year plan to find the room. When Matt, Matt starts to threaten uh, talking about an international match calendar <laughs> with the excitement that he has for the international <laughs> match calendar, it's time to uh, bring this podcast <laughs> to a close. Uh, we'll talk more tomorrow. We're going to turn our attention back to club football uh, and the murkier waters of FIFA against UEFA. There's changes to the Champions League, rules around multi-club ownership as well. as plenty to get into. If you haven't got an athletic subscription yet, then head to theathletic.com slash football pod for our latest offer of £1.99 a month for 12 months. uh, And we'll see you tomorrow. The Athletic.